Good morning. Welcome to this time of worship. We've been blessed with music and we've been blessed with our togetherness. There are a lot of exciting things going on and I'm so glad you're here as a part of this time of teaching. I hope that you are comfortable. I tell you, I love Sunday mornings. I love hot tea on Sunday mornings. And I hope that you're comfortable and relaxed right where you're sitting because we are about to get very uncomfortable. And you're probably wondering, why am I so excited about being uncomfortable? Well, when we discuss the importance of following Jesus, there is always a change. And I know sometimes change uh, can be frightening and uncomfortable. But how can we follow Jesus and not be changed? And I am here to tell you as living proof, those changes are always incredible. And they're far better than any status quo that I sometimes desire to, to hold tight to. So uh, hang in to the words of God that are coming to you this morning. Uh, focus in on this truth that God's scripture reveals to us concerning how change comes, really good change, how change comes when, when we follow Jesus. I'm excited to welcome you into our teaching series, Follow, and into this very important focus concerning our lives as we follow Jesus. Following always brings a significant change. Dr. Linda Gottlieb, is a psychotherapist here in the United States. She cited that within a period of 11 years, the client base overall has dropped 30%. And then she describes why. I, I thought this was incredibly telling uh, concerning where we are as a community and as a culture and as a nation. The reason she cites that that clients have dropped off of seeking personal help is this. We have moved from the uh, laborious process of dealing with our own issues to simply trying to change others. Is that not incredible? I mean, this is a professional assessment that we in, in this present culture are more interested in other people changing so that our lives can be made more comfortable as opposed to ourselves dealing with issues so that we can change. So I understand that in a climate where personal change is, is not popular and, and oftentimes avoided, the topic of change when following Jesus may seem to be uh, too challenging for us to, to find excitement and for us to lean in and just say, oh, I, I desire those changes in my own life. But oh, changes that, that come when we follow Jesus are real. They're, they're, they're amazing. The journey is is, is unbelievable. So as you and I consider what it means to truly follow Jesus, uh, let's uh, engage the changes that will come when we follow Christ. In fact, there are three areas, uh, three expressions of change that I'd like to focus with you on uh, this morning. The first is this, when following Jesus, adjustments are required. <laughs> That's the first expression of change. Uh, second, when following Jesus, our affections must be questioned. And then third, when following Jesus, our attitudes will always be challenged. Now, I know when you hear those topics, adjustments, affections, 
and attitudes, we may tend to say, well, I'm not so sure I'm ready for those changes. But lean in, because these changes are far better, as we've already said, to any status quo that we may desire to hold on to in our lives. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, we read this. As Jesus went on, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And immediately, Matthew got up and he followed Jesus. What are the changes that come when we truly follow Jesus? The first change is this. Adjustments will be required. Personal adjustments will be required when we follow Jesus. It's inevitable. In fact, I love how Watchman Nee, that beloved uh, pastor and church leader in China, who was martyred for his faith in the mid-70s, I love what he has to say about adjustments when we follow Jesus. He writes, If we give ourselves unreservedly to God, many adjustments will have to be made in family, our business, our church relationships, and even in our personal views. The verse we've read, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, uh, demonstrates such adjustments. Jesus called Matthew, according to this verse, from the tax collector's office or from the tax collector's booth. So immediately we understand that Matthew had a life's occupation that seemed to be diametrically opposed to the life to which Jesus would call him. And that is certainly the case. For just a moment, consider the life of a tax collector. I love that this story references Matthew being called directly from the tax collector's office or from the tax collector's booth. It's, it's very likely that Matthew's booth, his office, his place of employment, was located just on the outskirts of Capernaum near another region. Matthew, as a tax collector, although a Jew, answered to Herod, Herod Antipas, one of the sons of Herod the Great, who, who died in 4 BC, and his dynasty was passed on to his sons. And another son, Philip, was governor of a region near the region of Herod Antipas. And so history teaches us that Matthew's tax collector booth was located close to that region so that all who would pass into the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas would be taxed. With, with Matthew being a Jew and with this being a thoroughfare for many Jews, obviously <laughs> Matthew was very unpopular. In fact, as, as customary to many tax collectors, Matthew would be one of those who would inflate the taxes so that his personal commission would be benefited. And so as notoriously uh, uh, placed with many tax collectors, there would be the spirit of one who, who would deceive and, and, and one who would have a traitorous lifestyle. And this was Matthew. Uh, he would tax many Jews in, in, in three areas, all three areas, in fact. There would be a ground tax, meaning wherever your business or home was, you would be taxed. Regardless of the value thereof, 
you would be taxed. You'd be taxed greatly. There was not only a ground tax, but a poll tax, meaning you were taxed simply by being a citizen, by being counted in the census. And we know of many stories in the Bible where this is proven. And there would also be an income tax, meaning any part of your wages would be taxed heavily. So Matthew would be responsible for collecting all of these taxes and at times perhaps using a using very uh, very careful strategy to inflate those taxes so that his commission could benefit. And his responsibility was directly uh, to Herod Antipas. Obviously, this made Matthew very unpopular, as we said. And so here is Matthew in the midst of, of practicing his occupation. He's in the tax collector's booth, the booth representing his his security, the booth representing his employment and his identity. And we're told in the scripture that Jesus saw him in the midst of this, of this occupation, in the midst of this deceptive practice that was very uh, lucrative to Matthew. Jesus saw him and called him and Matthew responded. Oh, I will tell you, when following Jesus, just ask Matthew. Adjustments are required. Matthew left all of this behind and followed Jesus Christ. Uh, much like the fishermen's, the old vocation was dropped. And Matthew said, I'll follow Jesus. But unlike the fishermen, Matthew left an occupation he could never return to because of the stringent requirements Rome had for uh, Rome's tax collectors. There's no way... Matthew would have ever been allowed to step back into his office because leaving his office made him an enemy to the Roman state. And so Matthew committed to following Jesus with a spirit of no return, a spirit of all in. And I love that Matthew's story is but one of many stories in the scripture where the desire to follow Jesus pushes one past his or her comfort zone. And so I want to ask you, have you considered that following Jesus not only requires adjustments, but requires that we move past our comfort zones to this incredible journey to which Jesus calls us as his followers? Yes, our faith is in Christ if we understand who he is and his death and his resurrection. And as we place our faith in Christ, our, our, our faith is more than just with our, our mind and our mouth as we recognize who Jesus is. Our, our commitment is with our heart and our lives as we say, Jesus, I am, I am ready to follow you because of who you are. I mean, here are two questions. How many of you this morning would say, I believe in Jesus? Now, obviously, I, I can't hear you answering through, through the screen, but probably most of us would say yes. If not all of us, I believe in Jesus. But follow that question with this inquiry. How many of you believe in him so much that you will follow him, even if it means recklessly following him, with your whole life? Well, this is the commitment of Matthew, and he followed Jesus. Can I share with you four promises that will move you past your comfort zone to a life that truly makes adjustments? in order to follow Jesus. Because many of us would say, oh, I, I believe in Jesus. I desire to live for him. But at times we're so, we're, we're so gripped by our own comforts 
that letting go of all of this to follow him, pushing back past those comforts to follow him, at times seems unthinkable. So let me share with you four promises that can help you push past your personal comforts and making those adjustments to truly follow Jesus. Now, the first promise is in Matthew 19, 26. This is the promise of possibilities. That verse says what's impossible with man is possible with God. How can we push past our comforts to truly follow Jesus? Because of the promise of possibilities Jesus himself has made. Whatever we face when we say, Jesus, I'll follow you, whatever we encounter will be, will be an incredible journey of, of Jesus' victory and success in our lives. Because what is impossible with us is possible with Jesus. There's the promise of possibility. But second, there's the promise of power. Now, I love this promise. Because in 2 Timothy 1.7, the scripture reads, We've not been given a spirit of fear. And that is why many choose not to truly follow Jesus with all their hearts. Because of this fear of the unknown. But we've not been given a spirit of fear. We've been given a spirit of power. And so there's also the promise of power. That we have in our lives. Where God himself, through his Holy Spirit in us, enables us. And provides for us as we follow him in this journey of being one who makes adjustments, who leaves everything that is comfortable to say, Jesus, I'll follow you. But there's also a promise of purpose. We have the promise of possibility, the promise of power, but third, there's the promise of purpose. You may find this verse familiar, Philippians 1.6. He who has begun a good work in you will complete that work for the day of Christ Jesus. He who has begun that good gospel work, that work that, that focuses upon Jesus and not our own lives, that work will be completed perfectly. And so these promises will help us to push past those comfort zones in life that we can, we can grip so tightly so that we can, like Matthew, say, I will leave it all. I will leave this very booth, this very office that has once referenced my own security. I will leave it all to follow Jesus. And so uh, the first change that comes is this. Uh, adjustments are required when we follow Jesus. Uh, the beloved pastor and author Henry Blackaby made this comment about following Jesus. To go from your ways, thoughts, and purposes to God's will always require that we make daily adjustments. Are we willing to push back past those comforts? And to say, Jesus, you're worthy. I know who you are. I desire to follow you. Now, there's a second area uh, where change comes when we truly desire to follow Jesus. And that area concerns our affections. Oh, yes. Not only will adjustments be required, but affections must be carefully examined. Now, when I look into the life of Matthew, especially the history of of a tax collector that was in the position uh, equal to that of Matthew, I, I see this transition of affection and loyalty that Matthew made in order to follow Jesus. Well, yes, his affections were bent toward Rome, not toward his own heritage, culture, or people. When another gospel, Matthew is called Levi, referencing his Jewish heritage. And certainly there was a... a, a, in a of, of affection there was there was a connection with the Jewish people but that affection became suppressed because of his loyalty to Rome 
which temporarily brought him security and, and brought him a, a financial gain. But Matthew laid that affection aside because he saw Jesus for who Jesus is as God's son. And so this shift in loyalty and affection became so apparent as Matthew said to Jesus, I will follow you. And so what an incredibly significant change that comes for each of us. Our present affections and loyalties must be examined when we say, Jesus, I will follow you. You know, when, when I began reviewing this part of Matthew's life, I was reminded of, of three very significant areas in life that represent false affections that need to be addressed when we say, Jesus, I'll follow you. The first is relationships, and by that I mean human relationships. The second is materialism, and the third is self. These are three significant areas of false affections that must be examined when we say, Jesus, I'll follow you. Consider first the, uh, the area in our lives concerning human relationships. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, we read these words straight from God's scripture. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Listen carefully to the words of, of the Bible. Do not be yoked together. The word in the Greek can actually mean do not be mismatched with, with an unbeliever. Why would this scripture become so important concerning one who follows Jesus? Well, listen to the whole context of that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I read verse 14, but listen to verses 15 and following. Uh, what fellowship is there between light and darkness? What agreement is there between Christ and Belial or the devil? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between God's sanctuary and the house of idols? Do you see the significant distinction? And the scripture warns, do not be joined together in a significant way with an unbeliever. Now, I just want to say this to those of you who, who are unmarried. And this is a significant application. If you're having affections for a significant other that you know is not following Jesus and your desires to follow Jesus, do not go forward with that relationship. You do not have to be hateful or mean, but be careful. Scripture says do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. When we say, Jesus, I'll follow you, our affections, like that of Matthew, have to be examined. For him, it was the state of Rome and all of the securities and benefits that came. Matthew had to say no to that loyalty. And maybe for you, you'll need to say no to the affections that involve relationships with any person that is not he or himself desiring to follow Jesus. Be very careful here. If you are married and you're in a marriage relationship, that seems to be, by definition of this verse, unequally yoked because uh, you're desiring to follow Jesus and your, your spouse is not, then, then seek 
godly counsel, even from this ministry or from another ministry that, that you can trust and, and, and respect. Because we cannot take lightly the warning of being yoked together, mismatched with someone who's not following Christ when your desire is to follow Jesus. Oh, pay, pay careful attention to the scriptures and to this issue of relationships when we are told that we must examine our loyalties and our affections when following Jesus. Another area that is significant concerning misplaced affections would be that of materialism. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Do not love the things of the world, uh, nor the world. And that reference to the things of the world references those aspects of the fallen world that would indicate a love and an affection for, for that which is produced by a fallen world. Be careful that your affections grow and become allegiance to the things that are produced by this fallen world. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in this world. We all have material things that are blessings in our life. And, and we can see those as coming directly from God. But we must not have affection for those things. Meaning, we must not, not love those things in a way that would prohibit us from saying to Jesus, Everything I have, Jesus, is yours. Everything I am is yours. For this is the true expression of following Jesus. And, and I will tell you, when we, when, we, when we say no to this life and die to ourselves, Jesus said that is when we truly gain life. And so I pray that you will examine and allow Jesus to examine not only the relationships, but, but, but the area of materialism. Now, there's a, a third significant area concerning our lives when we say, Jesus, I desire to follow you. Uh, concerning misplaced affections, that third area is the most common and the most problematic, ourselves. In 2 Timothy 3.2, we are told this, In those last days, men will become lovers of self. And this is the chief of all misplaced affections. In fact, this would be foundational to any other affection that is misplaced. Why do we sometimes have misplaced affections and loyalties in our relationships? Why do we sometimes have misplaced affections and loyalties in our materialism? Because of the ultimate misplaced affection and loyalty to ourself. And men will become lovers of self. And we must allow God to, to examine these, these areas of our lives. Because when we say, Jesus, I desire to follow you, we're surrendering our affections and our loyalties to him. So a significant area of change uh, to be dealt with when we say, Jesus, I'll follow you, is certainly uh, our affections. So what have we discovered up to this point? When we say, Jesus, I'll follow you like Matthew, we realize that adjustments are absolutely required. Second, when like Matthew, we say, Jesus, I'll follow you, we realize that our affections and loyalties, much as was the case for Matthew, have to be examined and questioned. But here's a third area that expresses change when we say, Jesus, I'll follow you. And that's the area of our attitudes. Uh, this may be the most uh, unpopular to deal with, the, the area of our attitudes. How do we see ourselves? And how do we see others? And most importantly, how do we see God concerning our desire 
to follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus, much as defined by the term attitude, our way of thinking about self, others, and God will, will change and must change. In fact, much like Matthew, his thoughts became, com became consumed by Jesus and consumed by who God is as revealed through Jesus. His attitude was no longer directed by his thoughts toward the, the Roman government and toward himself and toward the, the lucrativeness of his calling as a tax collector. His thoughts became directed by who God is as expressed in Jesus Christ. We know this because we're reading the Gospel of Matthew. Because of his calling and because of his, uh, his skill in being a tax collector, history teaches us that he had great fluency both in Aramaic and Greek. He also had a great skill in, in focusing upon the details. And how amazing it becomes to realize that when Jesus called Matthew, Jesus was influencing that skill of detail and that fluency of the language to be used by God's Holy Spirit to scribe the details in this incredible gospel. We're even told in, in our biblical history that Matthew was martyred for his faith. In fact, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is, is a, a, a reliable source of the martyrdom of the early church. We're told there that Matthew suffered a martyrdom because of his faith in Jesus, that he would not, upon any cost, relinquish his commitment. And, and so when he said, Jesus, I will follow you, oh, the significance of, uh, of the change in his attitude, he no longer prioritized uh, that which benefited him in his thinking and in his approach to life. He prioritized Jesus Christ. You know, I love the, um, the words of the, the Danish uh, philosopher and theologian Søren Kierkegaard uh, in the 19th century when he expressed this, this change in the life of one who follows Jesus by, by relaying this anecdote of a goose and chickens. Uh, let me uh, expound upon this incredible anecdote. Sir, uh, Kierkegaard writes, uh, imagine that there was a goose flying and, and was suddenly injured and had to take light inside of a chicken coop. Now imagine that he resided in that chicken coop and began to act like the chickens, think like the chickens, and eventually began to think that he was a chicken. Uh, now imagine that a uh, flock of geese are flying over and they honk and the goose on the ground hears them. And as Kierkegaard writes, this goose on the ground is stirred and he attempts to take flight to join those that are very familiar to him when he hears the call as they pass over. And as he begins to take flight, he finds himself two or three feet off the ground, but then he lights back with the chickens because it's easier to stay in the mud of the chicken coop than to fly with those that were calling him. Kierkegaard wrote this to prove the simple point that it is much easier to think like the world around us than to focus upon the calling of Jesus Christ when he says, follow me. Do you feel stuck and possibly settling for less, like that goose in the chicken coop. Even though Jesus is calling, follow 
me. I'll tell you, there's no greater calling. There's no greater invitation than Jesus saying, hey, follow me from your tax collector's booth. Follow me from this a life of, of empty dreams that you have tried to create. Follow me from the mud in the chicken coop. Follow me. Because if we do any less, we're settling for less. And when we follow him, yes, there'll be adjustments. Our affections will be questioned. Our attitudes will be challenged. But these changes are incredible and are necessary and are far better than clinging to any status quo in this world. Open Doors Ministry uh, offered some information about a Muslim that was converted to Christianity in 2014. They released his story uh, through a, a journalist interview. They gave him a name so that he would not be identified. They gave him the name Vegas. Vegas was interviewed by a journalist concerning his recent conversion to Christianity. And the journalist asked, what was your life like before you decided to follow Jesus. And Vegas responded, I was a trash picker. The journalist then asked, what was your life like after you decided to follow Jesus? Vegas responded, I'm still a trash picker. Well, the journalist concluded there doesn't seem to be much change. And so the journalist asked, how do you feel now that you are following Jesus? Vegas responded very differently. I feel happy and restful. And then he paused. And according to the journalist, he did not say another word for, for several, several seconds. And then he began to describe how not only was his occupation a trash picker, but he was also the pastor of a small house church that had undergone significant persecution. And he began to describe how when someone in his village uh, saw him telling another person about Jesus. He and 15 members of this house church were drug out into the middle of a field. They were persecuted, they were beaten, and then they were almost executed. But finally they made their way back to the village. But Vegas was not allowed to go back and to be with his wife and his children. In fact, to this day, he's kept from them and he's only allowed to see them periodically. Here is someone who decided to follow Jesus and underwent significant persecution. But this is what Vegas wrote, and I give you his quote as we close. I've never regretted my decision to follow Jesus. I'm following him, and I'll continue to follow him wholeheartedly. It is worth every step. What makes one like Vegas endure persecution? And say, I'm following Jesus. What made these timid, backward acting disciples and unsuspecting uh, people like these fishermen who were called, what made them stay so relentlessly committed that even at the, at the cost of their own life, they did not back down? What made the difference? Jesus and knowing him for who he truly is. So this morning... I pray that you know Jesus, but more than that, I pray that you believe in him so much that you're willing to commit your life to him and to follow him completely in every area of your life. Because this is the only way to truly know the joy and the fulfillment and the peace that comes when we say, Jesus, I will follow you. 
Maybe today you've never been given the opportunity to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says if you'll confess Jesus as Lord and believe in him, you'll be safe from your sin. And the Bible tells us if we confess and believe, we will experience that salvation. Maybe today your call is to pray a prayer something like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I, I confess you as Savior and Lord of my life. I repent and I turn to you. You know, the Bible says if we place our faith in Jesus, uh, he will save us. He, he, will, he will change our lives completely. And as we commit to follow him, oh, we'll see these changes become an amazing part of the tapestry that Jesus desires to make and to paint out of your life. The reality of following Jesus is far better than any worldly dream that we could, that we could try to fabricate on our own. I pray that today you have decided or you will decide to follow Jesus. There is a website location and a texting number on the screen right now. If you'll follow that uh, text prompt or that location to the website, uh, we would love to respond to you concerning what it means to follow Jesus. If you have any inclination in your heart that God is saying, hey, come follow me, and he is, then respond to these contacts. We want to reach out. We want to encourage you. and We want to help you. Hey, I'd love to pray with you as we conclude. And remember, following Jesus, there is no greater way. Jesus, thank you for your love. We thank you for the call to follow you. And Father God, I pray for every person listening, that if they've decided to follow you, that they will deepen that call by allowing these changes to develop in their life. And Father God, if there's someone who has never said, yes, I believe in Jesus, may they make that step of faith now. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. And thank you for calling us to follow you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned for some exciting announcements about the ministry here. And I look forward to seeing you really soon as we continue this journey of discovering what it means to follow Jesus. God bless.